Welcome to the Not Old Yet podcast, where we explore the subject of aging from a fresh new perspective. Each week, you will learn how to look, feel, and be youthful, no matter your age or stage of life. Tune in each episode to hear words of wisdom, stories of hope, and keeping it real advice from your host, Elizabeth Vanderveer. We got a beautiful story. Everyone, it's Elizabeth Vanderveer, your host of the Not Old Yet podcast. Welcome and thank you for joining me. Today we're going to talk about PTSD and how it affects us throughout our lives. It's a subject near and dear to my heart because I've suffered from PTSD my entire life, as long as I can remember stemming out of a car accident when I was seven years old and my brother was killed and I was maimed severely. And that's just one of many life-altering events that I've had where I've had the triggers and the life experience of living with severe PTSD for decades. And as you know, I'm 53 and a half, and uh, I finally decided it was time for me to do something about it and get on a different path in my life. So I wanted to share my experience with you And first, I want to investigate what is PTSD and who suffers from it. Uh, I'm wearing my glasses today because I need to consult my paperwork because there's a lot of facts and figures here. But PTSD is extremely common in our society. And I'm going to share with you some of my thoughts about why that is and how it affects us on a microscopic level every single day. If you're the typical American participating in all the social media things and you're going to work every day and you're listening to the news and all the bad stuff, you're constantly bombarded with negative messages. And if you're someone that suffers from PTSD, those can be triggers. The reason why we're talking about this on the Not Old Yet podcast is because how prevalent PTSD is. I'm going to state right up front one of the statistics that I've read that 80% of all sufferers of PTSD are women. They're not the vets that get a lot of attention. Now, it's not that they don't deserve attention and treatment, which I'm also going to talk about today, but women in particular are being overlooked. And when I was treating women at the bedside as an anti-aging physician, I was able to talk to over 10,000 women in 10 years seeing an average of 1,000 patients a year and able to learn about their triggers, learn about their PTSD and life-altering events that they've had in their life. And it holds us all back. And there's some amazing new treatments now out, new FDA-approved treatment that I went through just two weeks ago here in Los Angeles. And it's life-changing. So I want people to know about PTSD because I can tell you there's a lot of situations where PTSD is being misdiagnosed as depression or anxiety, and the things that keep someone in that state of heightened awareness and constantly anxious, et cetera, are being completely overlooked, and we just are told to go back to our day-to-day life and just suffer is really how I look at it, because 
I suffered significantly for decades and did not feel depressed necessarily, just knew that I was in this constant state of anxiety and angst and never feeling like I could take in the input without just having my anxiety explode. So to start off, PTSD is extremely prevalent and it's stated that 3 million new cases are diagnosed every single year. If you add that year over year, just think of how many people are being diagnosed Millions upon millions of people have been diagnosed with PTSD. But just the 3 million new people a year, if you extrapolate that to the baby boomers, age 65 and over, that's 600,000 new cases of PTSD being diagnosed a year in people over 65, if you extrapolate the data that way. The other thing is, another website that I consulted reported that PTSD in people under age 18 is common, but over age 18 is very common. So this is a incidence and prevalence situation from a statistical analysis point of view, where the older you are, the more likely you are to be, it looked to me in the data, like more likely to be diagnosed, although there does seem to be a little spike in the millennial. This adds up. This is a significant amount of people suffering from PTSD. And yet medicine may not be completely, depending on where you live and who you consult, you may be told that you need an antidepressant. You may be told you need Valium or one of those derivatives. There may be something entirely different that's given to you as a treatment than some of these new treatments for PTSD that I want to share with you. My own PTSD uh, started, like I said, with the roar when I was seven and my brother who was four, we were killed in a car accident. And I was there to experience it outside of my body, but did not receive resuscitation. But I remember my brother's resuscitation on the side of the road after the fatal car accident and relived that for decades, night terrors, had a fear of cars and driving in cars and ice and you know various triggers. And then I've had abusive relationships. And The real key that I would say about PTSD is that you can't define it for people across the board. What's a stressful trigger for one person or a cause of PTSD may not be for another person in the exact same environment. For example, Hurricane Sandy, Katrina, those kinds of events or the Malibu fires that just happened within the last year here in LA or the Paradise Fires, I don't want to cherry pick anyone. They're terrible events, losing family members, losing your home. Those are all traumatic, traumatic events that can cause PTSD. So PTSD cannot be defined for everyone that a major trigger like a a flood or a fire is going to cause it. There are people with different levels of resilience and literally what triggers and causes a problem in one person, we know that we're all different. And that doesn't necessarily mean that the other person's going to have PTSD. But if you do have PTSD, or you know someone with PTSD, it's so important to validate their experience. This is a very real problem in the brain. And the way it's been explained to me, I'll explain to you because uh, it made sense to me that you have two different hemispheres of your brain, uh, obviously right and left, and they do two totally different things. But 
when you have a post-traumatic stress disorder, your body, your brain starts to ruminate once it's been triggered and that memory is flowing. You literally can't stop it. It's just like a freight train that just barrels down through your brain. It probably happens in depression. It probably happens in all sorts of other situations with your brain. But in PTSD in particular, it keeps you in a cycle of fear, of anxiety, and heightened awareness. I'll go through the symptoms in just a minute. But what the new novel treatments are doing is they're interrupting that superhighway of fear and anxiety. And they can literally put a stop in it, like you're putting one of those gates, you know, where it has the tire killers, and it stops the rumination and it stops the fear-based living. And I can tell you, because I have the new FDA-approved treatment, it is working and it's changing my life experience day by day. It's really incredible, and I'll share that. So the things that can cause PTSD. Obviously, we all know about combat. And like I said, the vets get a lot of attention. But what I've also noticed, because I've been doing a lot of research into the treatment of PTSD, is that a lot of the vets have come out of a military system where they've been misdiagnosed as narcissistic, borderline personality disorder. These gentlemen are sharing their experience. And I'm sure there's women that have experiences too to share, and I'd love to hear them. But the men that are getting help are very much celebrated for their combat experience. But just living on certain neighborhoods, in certain neighborhoods, can cause post-traumatic stress disorder if you're hearing gunshots all night long. Literally, we cannot classify PTSD as a combat disease. Without a doubt, they have a combat problem. A lot of people will come out of the military with PTSD, but I would submit that there is PTSD in a lot of people that have never been in true combat, but they're living on the edge. They're living with micro trauma even. So combat is a definite. We know that people that go and kill other people and see their comrades killed, not good hurricanes, major storms, fires, that all can give PTSD. Uh, sexual abuse or sexual assault, it doesn't even have to be a gangbang. You know, this can be in a relationship, uh, previously a relationship you thought it was a good one. Things change, things happen. A lot of people learn about sexual abuse and sexual trauma later in life. They've suppressed those feelings, but they've felt them their entire life. That's a very real cause of PTSD. A traumatic world event, we've talked about that, floods. How about any number of the terrorist attacks in Paris, Notre Dame? I mean, you can just go on and on with that. Watching the news is definitely not a good thing for triggering. and. Microtrauma of social media. I can't tell you how many people are so distressed about their social media interactions and getting bullied on social media. I've encountered it in my medical spot practice. You get bad reviews, you get haters, you get ex employees writing terrible things. All of that just beats down the psyche. We talked about this in a previous podcast that 
it's very difficult to maintain your sanity in this current culture of digital, but it's also really hard to maintain your optimism, I think, because the haters are there. They tear you down. I'll be getting them through this podcast, of course. And it's just, it's bullshit. It really is. The bullying that goes on in digital is bullshit. And I wish that we could change it. I have some radical ideas, but that's for another podcast. One thing to know about PTSD is that it often has a delayed presentation. So let's just say you went through Katrina or Katrina was more recent and you're doing okay because you've got all the support of the federal government. You've got people volunteering, yada, yada. We know that. There's this massive influx of help that comes in early in a crisis and a disaster. But then it often goes away and you're left with, oh, now what do I do? No home. The government resources are coming through and you remember losing your house or losing a loved one or a school shooting. I mean, guys, there's so much trauma in our lives. I can't even look at the news without just shuddering at how bad it is. And if you've had, let's just say you were in one of the shootings. I was in Las Vegas recently talking to a couple of people that were in the crowd when that huge Las Vegas shooting happened a couple of years ago. And they're traumatized. They were fighting for their lives. They didn't know if they would make it out of that concert. And hearing them relive it just was like a light bulb going off for me that these people have not healed from this trauma of losing friends, losing, you know, people right around them. Anyway, God willing, very few of us will ever see witness something like that. That's for sure. The symptoms. So now we're going to move on to the symptoms. The symptoms of PTSD are multifactorial and they present in a multitude of ways. You can't just look at someone like we kind of know the classic look for depressed or something of that nature. PTSD can show up in so many different ways that you really can't say these symptoms define PTSD. But there are some things that tend to be common, of course. Reliving the event or events, in my case, I had multiple triggers. So here are the symptoms. Reliving the event, whether you're awake or asleep. When you're awake, it can come in the form of just visions and flashbacks. And they can start, let's just say, the car is your trigger, as it was one of mine. If you slide on ice or uh, you narrowly miss a car accident, that can be a trigger. In the case of my symptoms, it was. Additionally, night time can be very difficult for those of us with PTSD. We have flashbacks at night. We have dreams where we relive the event and we wake up not refreshed. We wake up in a heightened state of anxiety throughout the night and in the morning. Sometimes you aren't even seeing the exact event, but you're seeing things that are similar and very disturbing. So I tell you that because when you tell people your dreams or what's going on for you, it's very common for people to be totally dismissive, like literally like, oh, that's nothing. Or your PTSD can't be causing all those problems in your life, which is what I was told. And no one believed me. They were like, PTSD? 
huh, whatever. Don't even worry about PTSD. You've got other problems. Well, no, it was actually PTSD. <laughs> and uh, getting treatment changed my life. Another symptom of PTSD is avoiding life. That shows up in so many ways. And for those of you that have it, you know what I'm talking about. You may make plans and then cancel them. You may make a whole bunch of plans and then freak out and go to bed and not even cancel them, just don't show up. There's so many ways that people avoid pleasure and they avoid the normal things in life. Many vets on the videos that I watch talk about literally just holing up in their house, drawing the blinds and doing nothing all day long, just sitting at home, reliving the horrors and the pain. They're not able to stop it. That's the key. You know, so many people just want people with any of these conditions to just snap out of it and, you know, let's move on. They don't want to hear what we have to say. They don't want to hear what we're feeling. But if you're sitting inside with the shades drawn and reliving some really traumatic events, I can share with you that that sounds like PTSD to me. Another symptom is pervasive and dark feelings and depression. So not just sitting inside with the blinds drawn, but thinking life doesn't have any value, don't see any reason to go on, etc. You know, thoughts of harming yourself, that's a very dark place to be. And it happens. And a lot of people with this problem are misdiagnosed as bipolar, because when they're down, they do look depressed. But when they're hyper aroused, which we'll talk about in just a minute, they show up as being too happy and too energetic. So that's another sign of PTSD. You do have the mood swings. You do get very dark and think about the events that led you to have the situation that you have. But depression is a very common diagnosis in people with PTSD. So if you do have feelings of harming yourself or you're so depressed you can't get out of bed, it seems to me like that would be a good candidate. You would be a good candidate for medication for depression. In talking to others with PTSD, men and women of all ages and stages of life, most people that I've uh, talked to for their PTSD, they were placed on antidepressants and they run the gamut from the new to the old, to the gold standards, to the new experimental stuff. It does seem to be a situation where many doctors are just trying to get the pharmacology right. Some patients say they've been on as many as 30 and 40 medication regimens. They're trying to get it right. And that to me is just such a tragedy if people are suffering that much. And then, of course, I have to think about the drain on the healthcare system. Every time you write a prescription and get a 30, 60, 90 day supply of something and then you abandon it and try something else, it's not only a pharmacologic soup or stew that you're putting that poor patient through, but how can the patient possibly know which end is up when they've got? 35 bottles on their table. You know, at that point, I think you're just rearranging deck chairs on the Titanic. I don't know what to say. At that point, I think you're just rearranging deck chairs on the Titanic. I mean, how can you possibly give someone that many medications? That's not my field anymore. And I'll just leave it at that. So another a symptom of the PTSD is hyperarousal. 
And that means you have excess energy. You're more attentive to life, more attentive to the details, maybe even bothering people with how OCD you are. It's not a comfortable state. So hyperarousal may sound great, like, oh, good, I've got lots of energy. It's not. It is a heightened state where your uh, adrenal access is always at the ready. It's the fight or flight uh, feeling that uh, I used to have a sense of just a buzzing inside of me with or without caffeine. It didn't matter. It was just this uncomfortable sensation that I needed to do something to change the situation, but I didn't know what. And that's all gone, thankfully. Finally, uh, severe anxiety shows up a lot. So depression, anxiety, both show up. Anxiety, though, in this case, is triggered by various triggers. Now, some people that have one episode of PTSD that causes it may not be in this severe anxious state, but they might be more in the depression. I don't know. It's so different for everyone. But the good news is the treatment is the same. The triggers are what's important to think about. The triggers for PTSD are really sights, sounds, smells, touches. If you've been a victim of sexual abuse, it may be hard for you to have a good sexual relationship with your husband, your wife. I can't tell you how many men have been sexually abused, how many women, but the men are finally feeling the shame lift and they're starting to talk about it in my world and the people that I talk to. There's a lot of PTSD around sexual trauma for men and women. And that's a big deal, especially when you start getting into a healthy sexual relationship because you have to learn how to deal with it. It's very similar to someone that has a very bad relationship with food. You still eat. Of course, you don't have to have sex, but if you're married or you're in a relationship, there's an expectation, I suppose, unless there's an agreement otherwise. My point being that whatever your trauma is, it's going to impact your life at some level until you address the trauma. So now for the treatment there's some really interesting new treatments that are coming out and even FDA approved now. So I'm going to talk about one that I didn't do because it's not FDA approved yet, but it shows real promise. And it's using a drug called MDMA or ecstasy. It's a human made drug as I understand it. And it is called the love drug on the streets and you can get it on the streets, but it's actually in phase two clinical trials, I believe. And I learned about this from one of the physicians that I follow on social media, and he's been highlighting these results. They're pretty amazing. So the use of MDMA, I won't go into the protocol because it might change, but it's basically a single dose of this drug, and it has a 70 to 80% cure rate for PTSD. Now it's done in a controlled setting with counselors there, and there's, this is the protocol that I read. But 70 to 80% cure rate with one dose, one inexpensive dose. So that's pretty phenomenal, but I was unable personally to find my way into the trial or to get treatment before another treatment came up that I'll share. Another treatment is ketamine. And this is a horse tranquilizer 
but it's a brand new FDA approved protocol of treating PTSD with ketamine infusions. And that's what I did. I did it here in Los Angeles. I had two one hour infusions of ketamine and it's changed my life. I'll discuss it briefly, but I think everyone's experience would be different. I entered into this treatment center. I found them on a billboard, believe it or not. And they have this beautiful office And I was put in a reclining chair, packed with pillows and blankets. I looked like a fish on ice. (laughs) I was packed together, headphones, eye shield, and IV. And the two infusions were drastically different from each other. The first one was actually quite pleasant. I had an out-of-body experience that was very mild, but it was like taking a two-week vacation. Literally, I came back after my treatment. And when I say it came back, I came to, and because ketamine acts like a general anesthetic, I was groggy, of course, like I had just had something, you know, a colonoscopy procedure. So it was light sedation, if you will. But I was kept awake. Unlike when you have a colonoscopy, you're put down and you go to sleep for the procedure, even though it's brief. This was kept at a level so that I was awake during the entire thing but I was able to view my life in a very different way. Well, the second time was just trippy. Literally, I floated out of my body within seconds of them starting the infusion, and they did increase the dose on my second treatment. And I came right up out of my body, and then I flew back down over the earth, and the earth was filled with scenes from my life. And I was able to literally, like a superhero, dive into the scene and fly through and fly around previously very painful scenes in my life, maybe a divorce, maybe a death, things like that. And other scenes where I experienced trauma, and I will leave it at that because what that person may have done to me may not have thought it was trauma. I perceived it as trauma. It went into my programming for decades, and I was reliving traumatic events pretty much 24-7 in my life. So during the second hour of infusion, which both of these treatments took place, I was able, and I should say, I had tears streaming down my face, so much so that my eye shields were just plastered to my makeup. I was so frustrated, but I was like, whatever, whatever. While the tears were streaming, I was able to literally walk through, fly through these previously torturous scenes for me and have no emotion. So the tears flowed, but there was no emotion, no sadness. And when I came to, first of all, I was really bummed that I had to end because it was an amazing, vivid Technicolor movie that I got to participate in while flying which is pretty freaking awesome, I'll tell you. And so I was bummed that it was over, but I came to a lot faster this time. And I left feeling completely peaceful. And that feeling has not left my body for two weeks. My sleep has changed completely. I'm sleeping longer. I'm sleeping without the night terrors and the vivid distressing dreams. I'm 
calm during the day and previously stressful, uncomfortable situations, I'm able to really hit the pause button and decide when, how I'm going to respond, if I'm going to respond. One of the big things to share, I think, is that in my suffering with PTSD, I felt that I had to respond to everyone. Even the solicitations from the marketers that I'd get by email for one of my companies, you know, I feel compelled to respond and be kind. Now I just don't even respond. Delete, delete, delete. I no longer have the need to please disease and feel so vulnerable in the world. I no longer feel that my fight or flight button has been pushed. Every single day, I woke up feeling like that fight or flight button was pushed before the alarm went off, before I got up, and it wouldn't even stop. I would get a few hours of rest, but that's it. That's all better. That's all been mitigated. And all I know is that if you're suffering from PTSD from any source, really investigate your options. And I would encourage you to not be content with just being handed a prescription for an antidepressant or a benzo or something like that. One final thing I have to say is I can tell you personally, alcohol is devastating with PTSD. It unroofs the limbic brain in a way that causes those triggers to just go and they go. And it completely can derail most any stressful situation when you are suffering from severe PTSD. I can also share that hemp and CBD can be a really, really helpful adjunct to any other treatment that you undergo for PTSD. The cannabinoid receptors in our body are so affiliated with anxiety reduction, depression improvement. Literally, you can help heal your body with cannabidiol. And this comes from the hemp plant. It can be completely THC-free. And it also changes, I believe, your relationship with alcohol. I have seen numerous sufferers of PTSD, myself included, overuse alcohol in an attempt to take away the pain. But alcohol just makes it worse if you don't have your CBD levels replete. CBD is more closely affiliated with our bodies, I'm told, than narcotics. CBD helps us be sane and healthy and happy. Pain-free anxiety is severely decreased with CBD. And I would strongly encourage you to investigate it. More and more, you can get it now and you can get good products. And it really can make a big difference. Try to not be afraid of it. It's here. It's probably here to stay, which is awesome. And 
if you look online at a lot of videos, a lot of the vets will talk about the benefit and how their lives have changed since they've discovered CBD and cannabis. So if we put away the stigma that the only people that want to use cannabis are losers, I think that you will be pleasantly surprised at what it can do for your own body. I'm happy to give individual recommendations. There's also lots of great websites, cbdbeauty.com also. That's B-E-A-U-T-E.com. So I hope that this was uh, informative and enjoyable. I welcome your comments and will do my best to answer them. And we'll see you again next time. Head on over to cbdbeauty.com if you want to learn about CBD products. And head on over to Not Old Yet Global and leave us your comments. We'll talk to you soon. Thank you. Best.